Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living, and we will win the day. And one day, I promise you, you will be able to read my black quarterback book. I'm Derek White, author of Challenge of Blackness, as well as Blessed Sweat and Tears, Jake Gate, the Florida AM, and the history of black college football. Welcome back, Lou. Happy New Year. Uh, happy New Year, brother. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's been about a month, but, but we are ready for 2023. Yes, we're going to try to uh, be a little better, I think, in 2023. Before we start, let's, let's talk about um, uh, what place did you finish in our Historians uh, Fantasy Football League? Mm, I got fifth place. I only lost one game in the last, like, eight weeks, and unfortunately it was a playoff game. And my team scored, like, 70 points, and the team I played against scored 180-something. So I was like, it doesn't matter because there was literally nothing I could do. So it wasn't had nothing to do with me in week whatever that was, 15. It had everything to do with me on draft day, but that's that's not a problem. <laughs> Uh, so, so I don't, I don't care. All oh my guys, you saw it. All oh my guys, my first nine picks throughout the season were on IR. So it was, it was just rough, but we, you know, we stuck together. I gave my guys a, a good mid season speech and, and, you know, we stuck together, wasted all my money, but, but what about you? Last place? Uh, second yes, to last, last place. place. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It was near the bottom. Yeah. At some point uh, we stopped bad. counting. I was not uh Mike Tomlin this year. I mean, I was trying to, you know, motivate the guys after starting like two and five I'm like, look, we got to get to 500 uh, to keep this streak alive. And uh, currently, apparently I'm not that good at my job. Um, and so uh, we finished last. And then we just kind of mailed it in the last few weeks because at some point you already know that you're not making the playoffs. And so we start playing right. for draft position. I'm thinking, do I get the first pick next year? Does this how this works? I don't think it does. But I don't know how it works. I, I had the first pick last year or this year. And I did. I think I wound up getting fourth place. So I think it's just random. Yeah. Um, what else is good? We got good news. We got a special guest today, though. We do have special guests. By the way, I'm off sabbatical, and it feels it's awful. Um, like oh. Sabbatical is the greatest thing ever invented. Uh, coming back to school is the worst thing ever. So um, there we go. Like I'm just uh, down. You just want to put that on the record, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I just want to put that on record, ladies and gentlemen. I wrote 130,000 words though on sabbatical. I don't know if they're good words yet. Uh, I'll edit them eventually, but yeah, like I said, that black quarterback book is coming. I don't know when, uh, but hopefully soon. So it's, I'm, you I'm didn't write, about uh, that. you didn't write by the black quarterback book by Lou Moore, like, you know, a hundred thousand times over and over again on repeat. That's how you got to to get more white. Use the word African-American. So there we go. <laughs> see, black is only one word. African-Americans too. You just keep writing that. Oh, look you at got, that. You got your word count, baby, like that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm writing that's how cool you make... names out. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not just Tampa Bay or the Buccaneers. See, that's how you get extra words. That's what I'm saying. We count like these undergrads counting these words. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That's my favorite. <laughs> double spacing after the periods. That's what I do. Sometimes <laughs> exactly. triple space. You'll never catch that. So. You'll never catch it. But right, right. But now I feel it, you know it's great. I know we have a special guest who who she is just patiently waiting. Um, but but it feels great, and and the reason why is because I never get this opportunity. We get one every seven years. And I know a lot of people were shocked that I was writing the book without a proposal. And I was just like, look, I'm trying to explain to people, I don't get an opportunity to write. And so I'm not going to waste it 
and no offense if you're an editor out there, please contact me. But I'm not going to waste it doing a proposal when I need this valuable time to write because I can't write when I'm like, you know, grading, I got, you know, three, three load and, and doing all the committee work and everything like that. So I was just like, let me just get it. I'll edit it the winter semester. And then I have, you know, summer, May to get that proposal done. Um, so, but it, but it feels good. I got a lot of good stuff in there. I did, I did my research. I did my work. Um, wish I could have done, bought more, more magazines, but I've, I've got everything. If it happened, it's in there. Um, so I'm pretty excited. That's all right. Uh, that's good. It's good. Uh, why don't you introduce our new, uh, uh, our, our guest? We got, a, this is a new guest yeah, to the podcast. First timer, first we, timer. First yeah. timer, right? First timer. This is hey, exciting. Hey, and it's probably the most famous guest we've had at the biggest institution ever, right? So this is, sorry, my bad, because Derek's at Kentucky, but we have Wait, somebody sure. from Duke. We have Dr. Tracy Canada, who is an assistant professor of cultural anthropology. She teaches on race, sport, kinship, and the performing body. And she's currently working on a book manuscript, Tackling the Everyday Race, Family, and Nation in big-time college football. Welcome to the Black Athlete Pod, Dr. Tracy Canada. Thank y'all so much for that. That's that is that is an introduction. You know that is yes. really something. I really appreciate that. Well, I got it off the Duke website, so you know. We, 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 well, you I guys wrote got, it, so you know. Oh, did you? Oh, this good. is nice. Yeah. This that, that is awesome. <laughs> you know, it is very succinct. I like it. Like it's not you don't Thank play you. around. Just boom. This is what we're walking. No, around. So, to the point. So yeah, it's to the point. So let's let's get to the point. So our listeners uh, may have heard heard of you or may not, but let's introduce you properly. Uh, first, what do let's go, let's start Duke. What do you teach at Duke? What do I teach at Duke? So I teach a sport class, um, in anthropology. I teach a class this semester. I'm teaching something called embodied blackness. And so every Ooh. week we go through different ways that the black body has been theorized or talked about in history or in contemporary times. Um, and so the weeks are like pregnant bodies and sporting bodies and bodies in space, um, earthly bodies. So to talk about just the ways that bodies have been discussed um, and theorized and talked about and actually like broken apart in particular ways. Um, I teach a class called Black Ethnographers, which is specifically about um, black social scientists who do ethnography, which is something that I do, but also thinking about different ways that ethnography becomes um, real for people. Um, and I'm pitching a new class that I'll teach next year about Lovecraft Country. So I'm very excited mm. about that one. I haven't taught mm. it yet, but that's that's one of the new ones that I'll that I'll do. That's so those are my four classes. Good. Okay, so let's let's talk first of all, most importantly, uh the black embodiment class. Uh I Fight for Living would be a perfect book for that class. We got we got a nice chapter on the black body and boxing. Just a shameless plug. You know, get that in there and Duke. You. Uh, uh well, yeah, it's already I'll there. Is it there? Is it there? It's not there, but it could be. So I appreciate that. Oh, man, you got me. I was like, damn, I'm going to That's it. I hit the big time now. It's a good um, plug. It could be there now, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, I love it. in a couple weeks. So are you a big fan of Lovecraft, did I take it? Is this... I am. I'm not a big fan of horror um, okay. at all. So the show itself was it was an interesting experience to watch it because I watched it live as it came on every week. Um, but I was fascinated by the show. And I think that there's so much there and it can be connected to so many different things and specifically in anthropology, right? Like there's lots of anthropologists that work on something that happened in every single one of those episodes. And so I want it to be a weekly, um, a weekly class that meets just once a week. And so we watch an episode of it every week and kind of 
um, dissect all of the ways that anthropologists across the four fields have talked about stuff that happened in each one of those episodes, but through the show itself. So I'm really excited about that one, but that won't happen until spring of next year. That's awesome. That's a great idea. No, no, I actually, when, when I watched the show, when it came out, it was like the end of the pandemic. I can't like those years are kind of all hell fuzzy for my brain. Yeah, I think I it's the it summer is. it was summer 2020 or 21? 21. I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. Time All is right. okay. it's, it's, Time it's, it doesn't matter. Purple. Yeah. This is what it is. Um, exactly. Um, but but I, I thought I was going to teach like uh, my intro to class to African American studies using that as a model. Um, and I still may at some point as just, I you know, it was just so much, you know, our students don't quite read as much, well as much as you guys at Duke. Um, and so getting them to both watch a show and it was just a lot for me, I was thinking about how I wanted to do it. And so I think I'm gonna let one of my more, uh, fantastic younger and, uh, more engaging, uh, scholars and colleagues here at the university of Kentucky, try to take that on. I just want to come in a couple of weeks and just yeah. intervene. Um, <laughs> basically what a, he says that he's a full professor. <laughs> like, let's. That's what it means. I'm not really making no more new classes. Is what that, <laughs> no. uh, that's, um, but, that's fair. Preps are hard. You know, like when you have a new prep and you're trying to get everything together and figure it out and plan it out. Like that's that's a lot of labor that people don't often talk about. So I, I no, hear you. It, it makes total sense to me. It is. It's No, it is. And I was like, oh, this is going to have me doing stuff that I don't actually haven't read about in the last uh, X number of years since I've graduated from <laughs> black studies. I was like. Oh, that's just gonna be a, that's a lot of tra- that's a lot of work that I don't know if I could get off the my chair. Off it's my another desk. one of those projects that I hear y'all talking about that like you know it'll happen that, that, eventually. That we have y'all a bring Google those Drive up all the time, it. so that's one of them. Yeah, yeah that's there a, you go. It's in the Google Drive. Um, so I just want to know that you are the first anthropologist on this show, full of historians. Traditionally, you said there were four fields of anthropology. I picked that up. Can yes. you let that let, let can, explain that to us for us? Um, uh, historians and listeners. <laughs> sure, I can do that. So there are four fields of anthropology. I am a cultural anthropologist. Um, and so I um, conduct ethnography. I do field work, which is like the more traditional way of saying that. Um, and so I spend immersive time with people in their everyday lives and make arguments about that that connect to structural and systemic issues, right? Which is how I, I do my work on college football specifically. Um, so that's cultural. Linguistic is linguistic anthropology. Um, if, if I were to use all four of the fields and think about them through sport, so linguistic anthropology could be the ways that football has a very particular language that is used. And if you don't know the language of football, you really have no idea what's going on, right? And that was actually something that came up a lot while I was doing field work. They were all talking about stuff. I knew it was real stuff, but I didn't really know what they were talking about because I don't know a playbook, right? Like I don't play. I don't know how your body is supposed to move. I don't understand all the calls that are necessary for all of it. Um, And so there are particular linguistic cues that are really important to the sport. Um, So linguistic anthropologists could do that. Biological anthropology um, is a pretty wide ranging field. You could get people that, um, that work with primates in biological anthropology. You could also get people who work on skeletons and skulls and, and like, um, the body in that way. Um, and I actually taught, um, I was at Notre Dame last year. And so I taught a sport class with a biological anthropologist. We co-taught it. And so that was a really interesting way of us thinking through the cultural and the biological aspects of sport together, um, because of the work that she does. So that was really fun. And then the last field is archaeology, which is usually what students um, always go back to. That is, I think, the most popular reference that people have is Indiana Jones. He always comes up when people find out I'm an anthropologist. Um, But for this, 
Um, like one, one of the jokes that you made before Lou was actually about like digging up, um, Jesse Owens's cleats, right? Like, but that yeah. could be a thing, right? Like, so, so if you have, like, if you have a stadium that is no longer being used, but you have someone that's very much interested in the material culture that's been left behind from a stadium, like that's something that an archeologist could do and then make mm-hmm. arguments about like what, what was going on in this place, what made those things important and why the materials are left behind in the way that they were. Um, and so that's to me is what makes anthropology really exciting. Like capital A anthropology is the way that I talk about it. That's what makes it exciting because there are these different ways to think through one thing. Um, it's just that you are usually trained in one of the fields and I am trained as a cultural anthropologist. That's all right. Um, that, you, that is fantastic. No, that was an excellent lesson. I, I mean, That's I appreciate like that. Thank you. I, I'm going to steal that when yeah. someone has like, I'm an anthropology. I'm like, what are you in? Linguistic anthropology? <laughs> what, <laughs> what, you think I'm digging up stuff? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You think I'm digging up? Nah. This is not the first time I've had to explain to somebody what anthropology is. I have to explain to my parents all the time because when I, I told I them understand. I wanted to be an anthropology major, they were like, what is this? And, Let me ask, you know, it took a lot of work. <laughs> real quick, Derek, how many cultural anthropologists do sport work like is that is that popular within cultural anthropology people studying sport or are you like one of a few or it's not super popular it is a subfield that i would say is growing we're trying to get more numbers there's a couple of grad students that are around like like in random places there are a couple of grad students that are that are doing work that's um related to sport um but it's a subfield that i think has been around since the 70s and there are some like big name people that have done like really important work to get it grounded, like in something very important. Um, but it's not, it's not as big as like the sociology of sport. And also the fact that I work in the U S like when I was applying to grad school, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, a lot of people told me I should go to sociology, um, because of where my work is situated. But I really like, there's, there's a lot of problems with anthropology, um, historically and in the contemporary moment. But I think that something that is redeemable about anthropology is the way that it is able to take these experiences of everyday, like everyday experiences and extract these like much bigger issues from them. Um, But they're always, always rooted in just people's like everyday lives and like things that are just super ordinary and super mundane and like what you do in a given day and like what you, what kind of arguments you can make from that. And so I think that that's really, really special about the discipline and really exciting and it keeps me excited. So, you know, I'm, I'm around for now. We'll see what happens. You know, I'm in an anthropology department currently, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. So can you, um, so you're working on a manuscript, like every, 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 most of us scholars who are yeah. in book fields. And so for our listeners to kind of walk us through without giving away all the, you know, the key things, cause like Lou will tell you, you got to sell these books. Um, but give us, yeah. you know, give us and the listeners a, a, a kind of a, a you know, um, a 10,000 foot view about what you're trying to do and, and how you went about it uh, to just give us a clue to be on the lookout. And if you have any idea about when you think it may be, I'm putting this as pressure. I know. I'm sorry. But when it may be out. Right. Just lose. Like, I just got 100,000 words online. Da, da, da. <laughs> 130. Well, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> but who's counting? Right. Who's who's counting? Counting? Not us. Um, well, I think the one thing that is the saving grace for my book is that it's, it's based on my dissertation. So I do have a lot of words already. It's just their dissertation words. And, you know, those are not the same as book words. Um, but I, um, I was in the fields, which is what we as cultural anthropologists would call it. I was in the fields in, uh, the 2017, 2018 football season. Um, so for us in grad school, that means that you take a full year of research um, and you go somewhere and you immerse yourself with people in a particular place 
to try to understand what's going on. Um, that's the way that I like to frame it, at least. And so um, the book that came from that or the, the dissertation that came from that and the book that's going to come from that dissertation was for me spending time with specifically black college football players at different universities in the Southeast um, to try to understand how they were um, navigating their lives. And I say that because they, the way that I theorize it is that football players belong to lots of different systems and they're part of lots of different groups. Um, and so what does it mean to be a, what does it mean to be a football player who's like 18, right? Like if we're going to theorize a, a person, what does it mean to be an 18 year old football player? What does it mean to move away from home for the first time? What does it mean to be in a college classroom? What does it mean to live in a body that is bigger than the quote unquote norm? Um, what does it mean to like try to buy clothes for that body? What does it mean to like go out into the city that your university is in? Um, so like there's a particular environment at a university on a campus, but what does that like, what's that experience when you go into the city? Um, and not just you by yourself, but football players, if you've ever seen them, they're usually in a group, right? So like, what, what does that mean when there's like five of you all together going to different places? Um, and so those were the things that I was interested in. And, um, for me, it mattered that I was a woman in that space. It mattered that, I don't know if you can tell by the way that I'm sitting, but like, I'm a, I'm a pretty small woman. And so like, what does it mean? That, like, how does size come into that? Um, how does gender come into that? How does age come into it? Because I'm also young. Um, so all of that, like my positionality and all of those things for me mattered in the way that they were interacting with me and the things that I learned. Um, and so my book is about the way that they relate to one another, um, because I think the fact that they are black athletes, but specifically black football players matters. So there can be a way that everybody on a team relates to one another. There can be a way that coaches relate to, to players. But I think that there's something very particular that happens for black players on a team. And I think that that happens because they live in particular bodies and they're the only ones that understand what that lived experience is. And so they're able to relate to each other in particular ways. And so that's how I ended up moving into kinship stuff. So like these relationships, this, this particular kinship that they have for one another and the care that goes along with that, um, which in a way kind of contradicts ways that we think about black men, right? Especially young black men. I think that they're incredibly caring and incredibly loving of one another. It just comes out in like maybe not traditional ways, right? Like to me, it comes out in the way they make fun of each other all the time and they're just never serious about anything. <laughs> like, But that to me is a, a particular type of care, right? Um, it's a particular type of care when you get a guy who like does not like football anymore. Like he just is so over it, but he's still playing because he understands that his teammates are very much still invested and that they could make it to the league. And so his playing position on the field actually matters for their potential to make it, right? And so that's a particular type of care that people don't often talk about, especially for this age group, for this race and this gender of person. Um, and so those are the things that I was very much interested in and became incredibly apparent, like really early to me, right? Like it was very obvious. Um, so that's what I write about in the ways that they relate to the like the system of college football. So the exploitation that's inherent in all of that, the hierarchy, the power dynamics, the way that money comes into that because they don't make any, especially when I was doing field work and like NIL wasn't a thing. Um, so even though NIL is not them getting paid for their labor, like at least they are, there is money involved in it now in a particular way, but that wasn't an issue when I was in the field. So how do all of those dynamics um, influence their everyday experiences, which again, it's just like, an 18 year old guy who just moved away from home and is trying to experience college and like figure himself out. Like that's really who it is. But just on top of that, Oh, by the way, he also plays football for a power five institution. Like that's, that's 
who I'm interested in to get to these much bigger issues about violence and injury and kinship and care and race and all of that. I think, I mean, that's absolutely, okay, so I want to say, um, without ever reading the dissertation, which I would love to to read the manuscript when it gets, when it gets to, to, when it gets ready for publication, uh, mm-hmm. that really kind of tracks with my experiences. I, 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 you know, I work at, this is my third institution where I've had a job. Lou's been at one, is this one for you, Lou, right? Yes. One, one, one. Yeah, yeah. So this is my third wow. institution. One of the things that I've done at the previous two, um, I've been here primarily during COVID, is, is that you really do engage um, when you're looking for black male students in some ways, like the football team in a lot of predominantly white institutions, whether they're power five or not, often is is a, a centerpiece for the recruitment of uh, black male students. And so when you're a black male faculty member, you they come across your door. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that the, a lot of the things that you you just mentioned um, in, in the high concept of your book I think really tracks at a lot of different kinds of places. I, you know, I, I laugh all the time. I, I really do miss my former students at Dartmouth, who many of whom were at student athletes, male and female. Um, and, you know, you're talking about this little school, um, four thousand students, and you're talking mm-hmm. on a good day, four hundred black students, right? Maybe on a good day, mm-hmm. um, on a good semester, um, and then a good uh, a, a, a large percentage of them. Um, playing uh, some sport, right? Whether it's women's rugby or, you know, football. And so those students and that, that whole, like, you know, how do you, how do you show care for one another in this space is that they were very protective in a place that was often hostile, right? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, my joke to them always was like, dude, you know, when you're moving around this place, like this is new England, like you guys are increasing the entire black population statistics for the state here. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I said, you know, uh, just remember that when your professor is looking at you funny, they got picked last for kickball sometimes, right? Like they, their identity, <laughs> they are bringing a lot of things that you are not, right? And so for them, like, you know, we think about power relations amongst each other, amongst coaches, but also amongst uh, faculty members. And so, you know, we're all three faculty members. We all know that faculty members mm-hmm. bring a particular kind of baggage, especially when it comes to sport uh, and sports. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you know, why would you study that? That is so low brow because yeah. I know someone stuffed you in a locker <laughs> in middle school and you are still carrying that with you, right? Like, you know, like, um, and so having, you know, sometimes as an adult in the room, you have to help them understand some of those dynamics that they can't quite figure it, put their finger on, but it's so interesting watching them do it. I'm not an anthropologist, but to watch them think about how they deal with those issues and they call it, you know, they be Professor White, this professor said such and such. I was like, but what'd you say? And I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all right, that was all right. That was all right. You ain't going to get in trouble. Like, yeah. there was some professor would call me out to be like, someone so said something in class. I was like, it wasn't really that bad. Don't take it that person. Like, you know, like you're like, you're like putting out fires or starting fires all over the place. And so I imagine that that was, uh, you know, I was trying to intervene. And I know as an anthropologist, you're trying to observe, which is a very different kind of role. Um, but that mm-hmm. is a fascinating, fascinating um, research project that. Um, to be perfectly honest, Lou, I don't think we could have ever gotten that even approved at most institutions like 15 years ago, right? Like it'd have been much right. more no. it, like it's hard to do sports history, let alone we do a sports anthropology, right, right. right? Like, and I think that it speaks a lot to the way that the field of uh, race and sport has grown so much over the last probably 20 years for sure, but definitely over the last 15, where we're creating kind of avenues 
um, for young scholars to bring these ideas at the initial stages, whereas before a lot of these issues were, now I'm not familiar with the anthropologists, but in history, they were doing something else. And they then they'd be like, we're going to do baseball now that I've got tenure, right? Blue, like that's the tradition, mm-hmm. the way people right. kind of approach these top- topics. Uh, and so I think this is great mm-hmm. to hear um, uh, about your work. Um, but do you want to tell us uh, why we had you on? Because uh, well, no, were, no, 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 oh, no, 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 we can't, we can't, we gonna get. I want the listeners to wait. You know, oh, okay, okay, okay. Now, let's get to the point. Uh, real quick, real quick. Uh, basic stuff. Uh, do you have a press, or is this still? Yeah, I have a press. It's under advanced contract at uh, California. Ooh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Advanced mm-hmm. concept. That's big time. What? What? Yeah. So what? Do you have a date that you have to get in by? So I am. Um, the book itself is in a series for ethnographic writing. So it's I'm I'm in a series with a bunch of anthropologists that are very aware of the way that we're trying to write our books. Um, so that at least for me, the way that I'm thinking through that is I want it to be written in an accessible way that makes sense to anthropologists it makes sense to people that are interested in sport but also like my mom can read it and understand what i'm trying to argue um so that's that's why i'm in that series currently the contract says that it is due (laughs) in june ah what are due dates the the contract says i need to turn it in in june um Ah, that's where we're at with that yes Yeah, no, no, no. Those dates mean nothing. Um, all right. So next, <laughs> let let me get some goodies. Then, is there okay. a power five? Let's say, is there a power five school that you went to, where you were just like, this place is absolutely hostile to these these black football players. Like I, like you felt sorry for them being there, or you can't say that right now. So I actually don't like as an anthropologist, um, uh, I don't name where I've been. Right. So okay. <laughs> because you can't do because, that. And Come I think on, that, I think that's actually like really important for this type of work, though. Right. It means that like I don't have any pictures. Like, I think I have like two pictures that I can use from field work. Um, yeah. I don't name any place. I can't have um, like picture. Like when I say pictures, like I have one picture of a football and one picture of a helmet to show like all the scratches on it. But because of the way that college football is branded, any picture I took, it would have given away immediately where I was, right? If I took any pictures of any athletes, like they got a whole name, number, their last name, like the conference, all of it, it gives it away immediately. And so for the type of work that I do, anthropologists often use pseudonyms in their work anyway, right? But for me, it was super important. And also I had to be very aware of like what I was taking pictures of, how I was talking about things, how I was describing things. Um... Because it's all branded, which is part of the whole problem, right? Like that's something right, that I write right. about is the way that they are so obsessed with putting their names on things. And that came through in, in the work that I did. But to answer your question, not specifically, but just generally, like I think that they're all pretty hostile, right? Okay, um, yeah. And I think that I think that's part of the point. Um, but I think that's why my work ended up being what it was, because like there is a way that they're like they're they're okay, right? Like they are okay in these spaces, but part of the way that they're okay in these spaces is because they take care of each other. And the other thing that I write about is their mothers, right? Like their mothers take care of them in a very particular way and they have very important relationships with them. Um, and so like they're, they're fine usually, right? Like they're thriving in a particular way. They find success in different ways, even if it's like a little bit outside of what we would anticipate that being, right? Like it's not always making it to the league, but usually it's graduating, um, usually it's getting some type of job once they graduate. 
Um, it is making okay grades, at least like while they're in school, if not like fine grades, like okay, great. You know, like they're, they're, they're making their way through this experience. Um, and usually it's because they have each other to lean on and to rely on. Um, but it's because of how hostile these spaces often are against them, right? Like it's using their bodies in particular ways to make money off of them. That, okay. That's really and then last, la- <laughs> last question, then we'll get to the body stuff. Um, okay. <laughs> which is the fastest why you're here. Does like Transfer Portal and NIL, how much power does that actually give these players back? Because it seems like before that, they literally, they didn't have their one and done, or not one and done, but their one-year renewable scholarships. Mm-hmm. Coach has a lot of power. They can yell at them all they want. Do you, Did you get the sense that the Transfer Portal or NILs kind of changed that power dynamic or... I think that it has given them some agency back. I don't know yet how aware they are of that. Like that's been something that's been really interesting to me um, because as, as y'all were talking about, like I, I end up with a lot of football players specifically, but also like athletes in the classes that I teach because of what I teach, because of who I am, because of the discipline I'm in. Um, and so it's interesting so far to see how they're talking about their experiences. And from what I can tell, it's not actually that much different from the way that they were talking about it when I was conducting field work, when I was thinking through this stuff. Um, because if we're thinking, uh, like if we're putting it in context, I was in the field when Kaepernick was kneeling, right? And so that mm-hmm. I thought that was going to be the big thing that everybody was talking about. And I was like pretty surprised that they were not really concerned with what he was doing in the NFL. Um, and so I'm not sure I use that as an example to say, I'm not sure yet if they are aware of the type of power that they have now regained with this. Um, you can see a couple of them individually using it, but I, I tell them all the time, and this is students just generally on a campus, right? Like they have so much power because universities work for them, right? They are the people that are in mind for every decision that's made at a university. If they were to to get together and like make decisions as a group, and that's any type of group, like so much would change. And I think that's definitely something that's true for college athletes, but specifically football players. Um, it's just, I don't, I don't know if they know that yet. And so they're, they have been given some power back, but I don't know, I haven't seen them use it to its fullest potential yet, but I'm excited about the, the changes that have been made. Um, they just, they're like, we're still far away from where it should be, right? Like we, there's so much more that still needs to be done to actually, um, address a lot of the issues that are going on in, in college football for sure. Uh, let me this uh, is, yeah, Luke, go can ahead, I go jump ahead, in this because I, I yeah jump in jump in because I'll make this listen for our listeners who who love college football. Um, there's a there's a Florida quarterback commit. I don't know if you saw this, uh, Tracy, um, but he committed to Florida, signed his his uh, letter of intent, uh, and is asked to get out of his letter of intent because the University of Florida uh, has reneged on a thirteen. Let me get the right number. Apparently, reportedly, a thirteen million dollar nil deal. Oh, wow. Right. I was like 13 mil for. uh, Yes. And so apparently that was the offer. And that was why he signed. And once he signed the collective, the NIL collective has somehow backed out. Um, And now he's like, I'm not showing up. And so he's going to Florida. And so I guess today, this week was the first week of class at UF. And you know, so there's this running clock, right? When you're rolling for spring Mm -hmm. to do it by a drop ad date. And it is not looking good. So you you see that I thought your use of power, right, is interesting. I do think it gives them some individualized power, but I don't mm-hmm. know how much power it gives them to actually change. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in terms of their decision making, it just adds money as a variable in their decision making, not looking for, 
you know, coaching philosophies that may more align with valuing them as humans, right. as players, right. as people, as adults, you know, like, you know, right. they're like, how do I get to the league? How do I make more NIL money? How do I get on the field fast? Like those variables are often at the forefront of, at the, at the forefront of uh, their decision making. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I know I'm not going to put any pressure on you, but, you know, we're going to, as soon as this book is out, we're going to be like, we need the NIL version of this book because, <laughs> um, because I would love to see you to, to really to think about how, how NIL and transfer portal, I think that's a great question, alter those dynamics that you see, because I think that is the mm-hmm. truth. Like what you talked about as the things I've seen. Um, and I don't know if, I imagine that it still continues, but I would wonder on the edges how it changes the dynamics because uh, people, a lot of the kids feel stuck. I mean, I think that's one of mm-hmm. the things that you realize um, from my experience. They on scholarship. They can't leave. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, transferring, like you said, transferring is a really big deal for them, right? They have to feel like because they're leaving all the people that they know that they came in with. Mm-hmm. That they come like it's a real it's a really big challenge. Um and so no, and that's a great question, and that is a great like book one B for sure. Yeah, yeah, we're not for trying sure. to give you more so work, I appreciate but, we, that. but me and Lou are the kings <laughs> of giving somebody yeah. else more work. So I'll just let you know, right? Right. right. Yeah, we'll give you <laughs> we'll another give you. idea. I'll write it down. You know that. Write it down. Just, write it down. Just create a Google Drive got, dot folder for it, and then just that's that's the start. <laughs> it's gonna be called Ready Family Ain't Family No More. <laughs> NIL oh, and, a black, and a black football player. <laughs> Boom. Done. We out here dropping titles and everything. Boom. Boom. Advanced like, contract hey, anywhere hey. you want. Yeah. Family ain't family no more. Yeah, I there mean, you this go. Is like, Part two. This is like, Jay-Z, we are not, we like, look, just no, give me the beat and we got to put out the it. whole book go. right here. Let's go. Let's go. One text. That's right. fantastic. <laughs> That is, that is right. That is right. All right. All right. On a, on a more <laughs> switching, yeah, we switch real quick. So one of the things that that if you, listeners you may know Trace, uh, Doctor Doctor Canada from is that uh, what two weeks ago last week? Let me do the math on here. Two Twelve days ago, ago is this mm-hmm. Scientific American? She she uh, published uh, an article. Demar Hamlin's collapse highlights the violence black men experience in football, and I thought it was. Obviously, the year is young, but it's very most thought-provoking thing I've read all year, right? Because we actually don't um, really connect that, right? We saw Demar Hamlin's the the tragedy that happened. We we watched as he passed out on the field, but we never nobody dared say this is about race, right? This is about race. But you, I think you had the courage to stand up and say, "Wait a minute, there's some other things going on here." So, so talk to us about this article. I know it's it's gotten some pushback, but we won't go there because if you're pushing back on it, that's that's you know that's crazy. You didn't get through the whole thing. So talk talk to us about the thought in writing this article because you got it out really really quickly. Um, it's wonderfully written. It um, the way you just kind of move from you know stacking to to other parts of it. To me, it's just like this is brilliant. This is how you write. Um, so yeah, I'll shut up now as you talk about this this masterpiece. I really appreciate that um, because you're right. It has gotten some backlash. So anytime anybody says that it's a, it's a good piece, like I'm, I'm now becoming much more proud about it, um, about the fact that it came out. Um, But yeah, so there was, there was a game on January 2nd, the first Monday of the, of the year. And um, as, as I think, as we know at this point, um, Damar Hamlin um, went down and something, uh, the, the way that he was tackled, it didn't seem um, like it should have been 
all that it was, right? Like it seems decently mundane, which again is like the thing that I'm interested in as an anthropologist, right? The things that are very remarkably ordinary, but end up being really important. Um, and so it came out later that um, his heart had stopped, right? Like it was, it was cardiac arrest. He had undergone a cardiac arrest. And as I was watching, as I was watching it, because I was watching it live, the thing that was actually very interesting to me, which was was the ways that the players all reacted, right? Because my work is about the ways that players care for one another. And so I was fascinated by the fact that the cameras couldn't get in to see what was going on because of that like really tight huddle that they had made around him, around him and the ambulance and like this staff that was working on him, right? And I thought that that was really special and people were picking up on it, but there was so much going on at the time. You know, the way the, way the media was responding, um, the way people on Twitter were responding to it, uh, conversations that were being had, the fact that it was still on TV, right? Like it took so long for the game to be called, but they clearly had a time slot that they still had to fill. So people were just talking for hours <laughs> um, after it happened. All of that was going on. And so as I'm watching it, like I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about the fact that he's not that far removed from college, which is where my work um, is situated. I'm thinking about the ways that the players reacted to him and how you could see that they were visibly shaken by it, right? Like a lot of, there were, there were guys that were actually in tears they, if we're talking about power and agency, um, part of the reason I would argue the part of the reason that the game didn't go on was because the players were like, we're not doing this. The players and the coaches that were backed by the coaches were saying like, we're not playing anymore, right? Like our, our brother, which is the way that I frame all of this is through brotherhood. Like our brother just got carted off. Like we're not, we're not doing this. Like we just saw him have to undergo CPR. Um, and so those were the aspects of it that were really interesting to me. But then if you put on top of that, um, the fact that this is a sport that is like relies on violence, right? Like it's an incredibly violent sport um, and it just kind of uses and abuses and like tears bodies up and just like spits them out in their trash in a particular way. Right. And I think that that definitely happens in college. Um, if you, the way that it came out in field work and also like now being a professor on a campus, you always see guys in like you see the the ways that their bodies are branded after um, after a season is over because they have all their surgeries after bowl games after bowl season right um, and so you've got the guys that are in the casts and the slings and all of that and they're branded in a particular way if we're thinking of um, Simone Brown in that way um, and I think that that is a really it's a really interesting again as an anthropologist like it's a very interesting material thing that ends up happening at a particular time of the year because of the cycle that is required for football season to even happen right you need these bodies to play um and you do all this stuff to make sure that they can get out on the field and then once you don't need them anymore then you can actually take care of them in um, the biomedical way that needs to happen um and that came out from field work the guys would tell me that i would see it um, I've also written about the fact that I ended up with a broken arm while I was in the field. And so the ways that they knew what was going on with my body, like much more than I knew what was going on because they're so well versed in like injury, I thought was fascinating. Um, but that's just not what my work is focused in. But I thought it was really interesting. And so the stuff that was happening um, around the Hamlin injury was to me just another example of that, right? Of like, this seems super spectacular. And it was, this was a very special thing that happened. A lot of the conversation was around how we'd never seen a game stopped like this. A game had never been canceled in this way. Like the, the way that he had to be cared for on the field, like that's never been done. You know, like there were all of these things that were trying to make this seem exceptional, 
But to me, I was like, well, I mean, I, I can look in my classroom right now and like there are elements of that that are happening all the time. Um, and I wanted to write about that because I think that it's important to note that while football is violent for everyone that plays, because black men are disproportionately represented on the field, black men are the ones that are most heavily impacted by these injuries, by this violence, by this breaking down and using of bodies. And who is the one that makes the money off of it? In college, it's the universities, it's the conferences, it's the NCAA. In the NFL, it's the owners and the the media because the contracts. It's the NFL itself, right? And so there's it's still the like the same um, fuel is fueling all of this. And to me, it is like the flesh in the way of um, in the way of uh, Horton Spillers. It's the flesh of these black men that are fueling this entire system. And so I like I didn't. I mean, I now see that it was controversial to say it, but I didn't think it was controversial to say because all you have to do is look at a football field and see who's out there. Right. You, mm-hmm. you can see who's playing. You can see where they are position wise. And that's why stacking is something that's important. Um, you can see who has a headset on. You can see who's in the box calling plays. Um, you can see who who touches the ball. That's something that players during field work were very, um, very clear about. And it was really interesting to me is that um, not everybody on a football field actually touches a football. Um, and if you do like certain positions, you're actually not supposed to touch a football. And so a lot of them were actually incredibly clumsy when it came to balls, like when they were playing soccer, like pickup soccer and things like that. And it was really interesting to me because they're not used to dealing with balls in that way. So if you look at a field, like who is actually touching the football, who's actually interacting with it, who's protecting the quarterback, who is the quarterback, who's running, who's like all of that, right? Like it's, to me, it's very clear. It's something that becomes incredibly clear. And all you have to do is turn on any game at any time at any level, pretty much at any day during the fall, right? Because now football has, you can essentially watch a football game any day of the week if you pick the right time. Um, and so that's what I wanted to write about was like the ways that all these things are connected um, and how they can't be disconnected from one another. You can't talk about this injury without talking about how college gets them there, without talking about who's making the money, without talking about who doesn't make the money, without talking about who is sacrificing and risking in all of these different ways. And again, it always comes back to college for me, right? Like we are, I would argue that we're still playing pandemic football, but if we're thinking of the first pandemic season, like football players were often the only students on some of these college campuses, right? And and they were tested every day for COVID to make sure that their bodies were healthy enough to play and that they weren't getting other people sick. That's how we end up with the kicker at Vanderbilt, who ends up being a lineman at Vanderbilt, right? I think I have that right. Um, that's how we end up with that, right? Like, And people were trying to make that like this progress narrative that we have a woman who's a kicker. But actually, it's because like too many of your guys were sick to play. And so you needed to go to another team to find somebody like that to me is something that needs to be said that we're just using the we as in. I mean, like I'm part of that, too. I work at a university, right? Like I work at Duke. Um, So like we are using these guys bodies to for for money, right, to make money off of them. And and during the pandemic, it came out that four point one billion dollars would have been lost by the public schools in in the power five if they didn't play football like that, I think, is is worth talking about because there are particular bodies that are being used for that. Um, but as I said, that was much more controversial than I anticipated. And here we are. Yeah. That's why y'all invited me. <laughs> no, that is not the only reason we invited you. I'm just saying that just meant you were hot this week. We were getting to you on our list. Yeah. We have a list. We have a list. Listen, our drive. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
no, I, I think that's an excellent. I mean, I, th- I think you hit a, a, a number of great points about the level of exploitation, um, the violence. I think one of the things the average fan doesn't realize is how violent Division One college football is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I say that because like you, when you sit, if, if you sit in the stands, even if you're in row one or six or, you know, the further away you are, the further removed you are from. But when you stand on the sideline and you like mm-hmm. watch these dudes move, at, whether mm-hmm. it's the Ivy League where I sit on the sideline all the time, or if you're standing at power five or you're standing on the side, like you're like, oh, this is not high school football, right? The high school football, <laughs> which is also can be very violent, moves mm-hmm. at like at a pace that is so much slower and so mm-hmm. much more methodical. You're like, oh, this is nice. This is really what, mm-hmm. you know, and you get out there and these dudes are like, wait, that guy is like 250 pounds and he's running like a four, six and he's running mm-hmm. full speed at this other guy who's running a four, like, mm-hmm. and, and that's every single play. And I think until, until like, I actually wish, you know, one of the things when I used to teach the sports class at FAU and we used to talk about paying players and then, you know, students, cause Florida Atlantic's a working class school. And most of the kids are working uh, jobs like 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 a lose institution. And they'll say, well, I'm working at Publix, uh, you know, 30 hours a week. How do they get this? And I was like, you should go to practice with them for a week. And tell me you wouldn't rather work at Publix. Because they're all in their head. They're like, yeah, I would do that for to for tuition and uh, you know, room and board and all the sweatsuits I can wear. Cause it's like, you talked about clothing. They love, they love putting you in a sweatsuit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm like, no, you wouldn't because like, you don't understand how much, like how much it physically hurts to like go through the actual season. Right. Mm-hmm. And when I have student athletes in there, they're looking at them like, nah, you wouldn't, um, they, you wouldn't, they wouldn't understand that, right? Because they're like they couldn't. They never. They've never tackled anybody. <laughs> they don't know what the cold tub feels like. They don't know any of that. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's a really excellent point. Thank you. No, yeah, you know, to me, the the what what's fascinating one is what what Derek talks about is is when you have athletes in class, they're going to be in ice at, at one point. Like ice is like dripping in mm-hmm. your classrooms, like especially if you mm-hmm. have a morning class. Mm-hmm. And they have morning workouts. It is like ice. And then as the season progress, it's injuries, right? It's like, dude, what happened to you? Oh, I got to turn this paper in late because I broke my hand and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So their bodies are abused. One of the things, too, that you talk about, I've mentioned it several times, you, you, you mentioned it, is the idea of stacking. I, I don't think people really truly understand, like, how like so Hamlin plays in the secondary and the secondary it's got I don't know what the numbers are in the NFL but but my guess it's 95% black right and it's mm-hmm. been predominantly black for a long time for a very specific reason it's because for the longest time especially at the cornerback level and and there's studies I think sociologists were doing studies about this in the late 60s and early 70s um it's just seen as this reactive position right we're gonna put Black people in this position because it requires no thinking. And so we're just going to throw you there at quarterback. And so as one, one story that comes to mind is in 1968 when the, when the Raiders it's in the book, by the way, everybody. Um, So don't steal it. People who are still writing their stuff. Um, 
Al Davis and the Raiders draft Eldridge Dickey and, and, you know, black quarterback, Tennessee state with not the intention of playing him quarterback, by the way. But anyway, when he's asked about this and how, you know, big of a move this is, he's like, how come nobody asked me about my white cornerback? Right. And it just sticks out to me. He's like, we have the only one in the league. There's one white cornerback in the AFL in 1968. Right. Uh, I, for, I forget his name, but, but it's like, there's one at that time because, all the other ones get the black players get stacked there and white players get moved out of there. Right. Like very mm-hmm. rarely you could talk. I think even if you look at college football, I can't name mm-hmm. one white defensive back at college football. So as you mentioned, like people handling the ball on offense, but it's also on defense. These people getting put in a mm-hmm. position. Someone like, you know, these, these, these cornerbacks are, are now they're getting mm-hmm. bigger, but you know, they're five ten, 180 pounds. And their job is to run into the running back who's running a four five forty, and mm-hmm. if it's Derrick Henry, he's two hundred and sixty pounds. Or you got to mm-hmm. take on the offensive lineman coming at you who's three hundred pounds, right? Mm-hmm. And so people fail to realize that yeah, these guys are going to get hurt a lot because they're put in this kind of disproportionately they are put in this position, and their job is to ram into the offense who is coming right at you full speed, and you're backpedaling, and then you're going forward, and they're mm-hmm. they're allowed to lower their shoulder they're allowed to throw you and push you in the face right they're allowed to do mm-hmm. all these things to you um and and so that to me that's what stood out it's like you know come to this is like this is weird this seems so weird because we don't talk about it. then you start to read like yeah she's right she's exactly right um and then as you go on you're like yep right 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 um so to me that's the the fascinating part there and i, and I wish people would just understand it but instead they want to see football we've talked about this post kaepernick as this American moment where mm-hmm. it allows them not for some reason not to be racist, right? Because I, mm-hmm. I'm rooting for for Jamar Chase or I'm rooting for, you know, Stefan Diggs. So how can I be? And look at look at the white guy crying, right? Look at Josh mm-hmm. Allen crying. Mm-hmm. A white guy shows all this emotion for his black teammates and 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 all this money's going to to Demar Hanlon's charity, right? This is who we are as a nation, right? Mm-hmm. Um but they forget what gets us there? Why these people, we know that football, we talked about this in my class last week when we talked about your article, that football is becoming increasingly blacker mm-hmm. because of the head injuries, right? Because mm-hmm. white middle-class people are taking their kids out of the sport, right? And it's, mm-hmm. the numbers are only going to increase, increase, increase. And nobody wants to talk about that. They want to talk about this kind of everyone, America just got together. And I think that's why your paper was so controversial because at the same time, everybody wanted to feel good about themselves. You're like, wait, wait a minute. You didn't say don't feel good about yourself. You just wanted to point out this other element in the room. And that makes people, that's why we're here at this place. That makes people so uncomfortable, right? When you want to point yeah. out this other element in this room. And I mean, I'm not somebody, the other thing that's interesting to me is I'm not somebody that thinks that football should go away, right? Like I understand why we're so invested in it. I understand why people play it. I I can see at least partially why it's entertaining. Like I get all of that. I just think it could be better for the people that play it. Right. Like, and that's what I'm trying to say is that like, there have to be, not there have to be, there are ways that we can um, like change some of this so that they're just better protected, that they're better cared for. Um, If they're going to play this game um, the way that it is now being played, like we just have to have better protections in place for the people that play it. Um, And that's what I think is, sometimes also lost from my work because I do point out a lot of these aspects, but I'm never saying that like it should go away. I just think like, I think it just should be better for the people that are invested in it. 
And a lot of this too, I will say, like a lot of this came off of, um, I had the opportunity to go to the combine this, well, not this year now. So last year I went to the combine and you're talking about like the weight, like seeing players play is one thing. And I wasn't on the field at the combine, but I have been on the field like during, um, during practices and during games and stuff, like the sounds of football are just so like, you just don't expect what it sounds like to hear them like running up against each other at full force. Like it is like, there's a very, this to me, there's a very visceral like soundtrack to football (laughs) and to be on a field and to hear it then to be in that like pretty empty stadium, just because like not as many people go to the combine. So it's not like a full stadium. So to be in a, in a stadium that echoes when people are doing all of the stuff and to see the ways that their bodies are being quantified in very, very particular ways um, to, to come up with a, a strategy for like how much they're worth. Like that's really what the combine is doing. I'm coming off of all of that too, right? So like that's all in my mind as I'm as I'm seeing the players that come to my class and I'm looking at them like in all of their um like in their boots and in the the um like their arms are in casts and stuff. Like I'm seeing that. I'm seeing the stuff that's still happening because we're still coming up on the Super Bowl. So we've got the playoffs and all of that that's going on, right? Like I see these Rihanna commercials because now we're all excited that she has gone back on her whole thing about not performing at the Super Bowl for Kaepernick, but now here she is every two seconds during the the games over the weekends. Um, Like all of that to me is still very relevant. Um, And it can't, again, it can't be disconnected from one another. And so there is something, there's something about the way that this game is played and who is playing it and who, who benefits from the way that it is played. I think that's the other thing that needs to, to come into a lot of these conversations is like there is there are beneficiaries to it right like there are very clear winners and very clear losers in this and usually the the losers are the guys who end up with these like horrible injuries and the other thing that I've written about um which again like the NFL isn't really my it's not my gig but the so then you have all these injuries and then we've got stuff like race norming that is limiting the amount of money that they get from the settlements right like so it's it's a never ending situation where the losers are very much losing over and over and over again for years and years and years, and they just can't get out of the cycle. And it's because of the way that race becomes important in all of this, whether or not people want to admit it, like race is important and stays important this entire time. Um, If you end up in a certain position, if you play that position, if you get certain injuries because of the position that you play, if you do happen to make it to the league, but you're only there for a couple of years and you don't get all of the money out of your contract So now you're paying for your own injuries. And now down the line, you have these like much worse injuries, but you actually don't even get any money from the settlement that was set aside. The billion dollars that was set aside for these settlements, you don't get any money from it because they've decided that you are not cognitively, you're not at the right cognitive level to even qualify for it, right? Like it's a never ending thing. Um, And if we want to take it back, it starts with what y'all are saying too, of this white flight that now is occurring from football, right? So it's, it's it's a, there's a very clear demographic shift that's happening which means that the sport is going to look different in a couple of years, but we can already see it, especially in the ways that these retired guys are talking about their experiences. The same thing is happening in the NCAA right now. Like the NCAA is being sued for a similar thing, right? Like injuries and not being upfront about the ways that they were um, harming bodies. Um, So it's, it's just all in there all together all the time. And so I just think that like, if there are people out there that want to do this work, like this is, this is definitely something that we could work on because um, I don't think enough people are talking about it. And I think more people should be talking about it. I, I just want to echo the class implications of what Lou said and that you just brought up about middle class kind of flight from 
football, right? I think that mm-hmm. not just not just not just white kids in middle class, but I think also black kids in middle class. Mm-hmm. That this this sport is becoming increasingly. I think it's always had a range because we sold leadership with this for young men, right? So you get to be a leader, a team player, and all the kind of positive. That's what sent middle class kids to football, toughness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that now. Um, I think that now what we're going to see is, is this kind of slow, like white flight, but middle class flight really is what we're talking about from the game. And what's interesting is, and you're thinking about, you know, you know, how do you how do you reform some of this, the violence? The game is inherently violent, but it doesn't have to be violent all the time. Right. And I think that one of the mm-hmm. things that I saw when I worked at Dartmouth is that they stopped tackling. Right. I thought this was the thing in practice, they, you know, and then t- eventually the whole Ivy League. Um, adopted this policy and it was fascinating to watch these old football coaches who you know played in the 70s who when the game was like you know brutal at every level everywhere come to the conclusion that like we're no longer tackling to the ground in practice and to watch Mm -hmm. um coach Stevens and dartmouth um dartmouth football team like win a lot of games being really good at at the at the physical parts of the game without actually tackling in practice, it was a really kind of counterintuitive um, idea that could only come out of a space like the Ivy League, where they're like they were tracking the amount of missed tackles, the number of concussions went down like like seventy five percent or something crazy like that, um, and so like they were able to see kind of real tangible benefits um, for their student athletes. But again, those kids aren't on scholarship. So they can that once they're in school, they can stay in school if they don't want to play football anymore. Right. So they have to there's a kind of um, inherent um, benefit for the coaches to make sure that they soften up the edges. They don't own them in the same way that they own you when you're on scholarship. Right. When you're on scholarship, they own you. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think there's a really important kind of piece to that that thing. And so so when you're talking about like it'll be interesting to see if we start to see the middle class remnants tearing out at particular levels because of um, particular kinds of reforms. And we see the Southeastern conference where I work um, these hardcore power five programs refusing um, those things because we believe in toughness and that that's the only way we're going to ever win a national title is to run your head through a wall, like that kind of mentality. Um, And so we're going to have kind of these multiple levels. Um, And I think that's actually going to be an interesting thing to look forward to. And I think that your point, your work, and this article, I think, hints to not only the kind of contemporary and historical ideas of stacking and how they impact black players at the collegiate level and at the NFL level, but also point us in the direction of future research and in ways in which we're going to see the way race functions at uh, a, a, another way in other additional ways that we can't always foresee even at this particular moment. So I thought, you know, kudos to you for 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 putting out not only your scholarship out here and it's the challenge of doing public work right we don't know how the public's going to re- receive any of this and so that is true <laughs> and we we you know you know that we here at the on the black athlete podcast um uh since we we're talking about branding uh right, black athlete <laughs> Brought to you by. Brought we to need you. a sponsorship. We need a sponsorship. Um, so any any black beers out there who want to sponsor us, we do drink. Why? Why we do this? We do. So um, let us yeah, know. Let yeah, us we know. just we just really wanted to you know have you on this show to, to not only talk about your work, but talk about that fantastic article, but also okay. just let you know that that there's a whole group of scholars who 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 tipped our cap to you doing this 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 amazing work at this time. 
Yes, Thank yes. You. Let I me really let's do this. So, so we're coming up at an hour, and I and I want to get you into more trouble, and then we'll do like oh, let me goodness. get some rapid fire questions from you. But let me get you more trouble real now, right now. Oh, All right. So you brought, up, you brought up the NFL. You brought up the NFL combine, and you described it uh-huh. in such a way. Let me ask you this. Uh huh. Are you trying to say it's a slave market, or no? Were you going there? Is close to like how do you see this? Like go be quick. I wrote a piece called the okay. plantation logics of the NFL combine. So that okay, where is outlines this is everything. This... It's, it's on my paywalled website. It's on, or... uh, no, it's not paywalled. It's a site okay. called anthropology news. So you could, you could find that easily, but I, no I, I compare it to get out. Yes. Wow. I have my okay. own website. I'm a real scholar What's it called? out here. Give everybody your own website. What is it? What is it? Is <laughs> it Tracy? Tracy.com. You talk about branded. She's all brand right here. Go ahead. You can find it easily. Yes. Okay, we're gonna everybody look at it. I want to see how many hits you get. But but so you do have it the call it like a plantation. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I call the I call the plantation logics of it. And I actually compare it to get out because the way that get out is around like you are there white women around there the whole time or something? Is this what's going on? I've never been to just just read the piece. Read the piece. It was fascinating. I will, I will. So when you see, when you open up that, uh, when you get a hit on your phone or whatever, that somebody from Grand Rapids has opened up the uh, website, that is me uh, <laughs> reading the piece before I go to, yes, anytime. I will know so, it's you. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's go rapid fire real quick, real quick. Dream, okay. your dream team to to interview professionals, since your book is on college, I don't want you to like, give away anything, get in trouble. Is there a dream team that you would Ooh. like to sit down and do an interview with? I mean, there is one, but it's actually basketball. I would love to interview the Warriors um, because I'm a, I'm a big Warriors fan. So I would like to interview them, but it has nothing what? to do with my How work. How are you from North Carolina Warriors fan? Okay. <laughs> because Steph Curry, Curry the front runner, front runner. Because of the Currys. Come front, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a front runner. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Kennedy is a front runner. No, I mean, she goes to Duke. Duke. <laughs> Duke. She goes to Duke. This is the time I'm going to shade Duke. She goes to Duke. What do you expect? I mean, she yeah, went, yeah, went to Duke. Front 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 she works at Duke. Favorite baseball team, the Yankees. Runner University. I'm just saying. No, definitely not the Yankees and definitely okay. not Dallas either. Um, favorite, <laughs> the Cowboys. Favorite, favorite baseball team? Oh, I don't watch baseball. Okay. Wow. Wow. <laughs> All right. Favorite, <laughs> favorite pro football team? Favorite uh, pro, I will say, who do I actually like? I don't like many. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll choose the Ravens. Yes, the Ravens now. Okay. Okay. And then sports movie. Is there is there a very good sports movie that you watch, you like, okay, I could put my culture anthropology hat on and watch this. Um, and this is the best one. Oh, I will like answer that. that, but it's not a movie. I love Friday Night Lights, the show. Like that okay. to me is the best, yes, best sport thing is the show, Friday Night Lights. Wow. Not the movie, but the show. No, not the movie. No, not no, no. Or the not book. The, the book's the book. fascinating. Not the, the book. The like- book is fascinating. And right. when I went to grad school, y'all talking about like, paving a way for young scholars. When I went to grad school, my pitch was that I wanted to write the anthropological version of Friday Night Lights. Wow. I'm going to steal that one day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going back works. to grad school to do cultural anthropology and then like, yeah. Yeah. But I could, I'd be awful at it because I'd give up names in like, <laughs> schools. Like when I talk to Lamar Jackson. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I wouldn't call Lamar Jackson. I would call him like Lamar Maxson. <laughs> <laughs> All your pseudonyms would be easily discovered <laughs> for the Baltimore Colts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, pseudonyms. Can I get can I get a player named after me? Can you like 
We'll call him Show Lewis. Us. Can I get? Okay. <laughs> yes. The book yes, is we'll not in print yet, so yeah, I can change anything right, at this right, point. Right, yeah, right, what if right. position wise? Lewis? Let me get a let me get a let me get a quarterback. Let me get a quarterback. <laughs> hey, I got you. Don't worry. And when you see it yes. in the book, which means that now you have to buy the book and read it. When you see it, you'll oh, yeah, understand yeah. That it came from this conversation. Yeah, this is. Uh, we'll call him Lewis. Yes, yes, that's awesome. <laughs> we'll call him Lewis, and he's six foot two and uh, <laughs> light skinned and ball headed. <laughs> <laughs> That I give it away because I, I don't think there is a light skin with a scraggly beard. <laughs> there's very few light skin uh, college quarterbacks, unless you're talking about Bryce's Bryce light skin. So I mean, I mean you know, you know, give it away. I'm just give it away. I give you inside yeah. baseball, uh, crazy. Yeah. The editors don't know what light skin means, so you can it could be like <laughs> it could be everything from <laughs> me all the way down <laughs> to Rashida Jones. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Yeah, that's light. That's anything light. goes. Anything goes. I don't know if you could actually yeah. say that. That that would give it away. Because there, not that I'm counting how many light skinned quarterbacks, there are, <laughs> but that that would give it away. Because there are literally not too many. I mean, again, there's a there's we just Mahomes like, and and Dak are, are mixed. Yeah, swarthy, <laughs> swarthy skin. Yeah. Give you yeah, some old yeah. anthropological terms. Yeah, Bryce Young. That'd be it. But boom, she's at Alabama. Got got it. We know where this is. Boom. She's talking about the hedges. That was Georgia. Yeah. It's going to be yeah. reading the book, trying to figure out who it is. And there was toilet and paper in the trees. Boom. Auburn got her. That is got why it. y'all do what you do really well. Okay. That is y'all should just stay in that lane. And you've got that market corner. You know, like that is where y'all need to be Jesus. and where y'all need to live. And I will handle the anthropological stuff over here. There's a quarterback. I got you. We'll call we'll call him Rice Old. <laughs> like, oh, that's Bryce Young. Because <laughs> I don't can I ask you a question? How do y'all make up the names for y'all's thing? Do y'all do like a name generator? Is this like a comic book thing where y'all just put it in and you name generate it? Or do you just like you just be like, mm, there's, there's is this how you feed your creative energy? I'm curious because we'll like, the crocodile. We like Florida like, crocodile. Like we, I, I have a hard time being like, was it sunny or cloudy that day? Let me go look at three newspapers and look at the weather <laughs> to confirm that it was cloudy with a chance of snow. Right? Like you guys oh are like, I'm gosh. just gonna make up this name. Like, let me just see. <laughs> We're see, still recording, by the way. Not legitimate, so no, you, would, you would be surprised how many people have alternate names for themselves, right? Like that they've already thought through what they would prefer to be called or like what they wanted to be named or something like that. So usually I just ask people and they'll they'll tell me a name oh, that they want awesome. me to use. <laughs> chocolate, chocolate thunder. Like, it's like, like what? Right? Until like, it's yeah. something like that. And that doesn't <laughs> end up in the book. Dusty Rose. <laughs> that's what I want. <laughs> Dusty Rose. The American dream. Uh, call me the American dream. Like, Dusty Rose. Delicious. I call you delicious. Get out of here. Uh, <laughs> by right, the way, that's from Kings of Comedy. Yeah. All right, we've, we've hit our limit. We've we're, hit, we're we on delirium right now. Um, all right, all right. Yo, I, I, I want to thank you, Tracy, for coming on to the Black Athlete Podcast. This is wonderful. Uh, we, you'll be back. You'll be back. You'll be Why back. do football players sit together in the classroom? That is, <laughs> that's, that's, what you, that's what you should title the book, by the oh. way. Lou is just giving out games. Hey, Lou, you should probably keep some of these to yourself. You should probably keep some of these to yourself because these are fantastic I, titles, I, by the way. But, like, when we talked about the professors and we're going to end in like less than a minute. And it's like the one thing that comes out, they can't stand the football players that sit in the classroom, right? Like there are some mm-hmm. the professors who are legitimately, especially at these smaller schools, these teaching schools where you don't have 200 people in a classroom at grand value. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, our classes are capped, you know, 30, mm-hmm. 30 people at mm-hmm. some of these classes. And so when you have 10 football players in there, that is a big 
number that is very uh, dominating, right? And they talk to each other and they don't care. And if you have somebody who's not prepared for that, like I'll, I'll clown you, right? Right. Uh, you lose a game. I'll let you know. And I'll, I'll mm-hmm. dominate right then. But if you mm-hmm. have someone who's not prepared for a bunch of six, five people sitting in the back or 300 pounds and come in and out and got to get up at all times, it, it can be mm-hmm. very intimidating. Um, mm-hmm. So especially when you bring in that, like, I got picked last for kickball energy. Right, I feel like right. there's but a not, lot that, yeah. there's a lot of that energy in academia. I just I right, right. but not me. I'll let not them know. Me. We'll go to the court right now and I, we will have a we'll, I always we'll, remind we'll, them I got a I got a letterman's jacket at a division one school. Uh, just, oh. yeah, just I don't want Oh Maryland I, soccer. I, and, that's right. I started that tradition. For crab cakes and soccer. Co- that's crab cakes and soccer, that's right. And I had a thing. No, thank you. You will be back on. I promise you, listeners. I, I told you she didn't think we can go this. We, you know, we go an hour and seven minutes, but boom, here we are. And on that note, I'm going to say peace. Peace. So thank you.